The number 416-216-5910 to email Savannah anytime. It's help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. We'll get to a lot of stuff today, so uh, stay tuned. But first, we start every show with uh, real-life cases and things that have come across your desk and into the firm, give you a little uh, color, a little perspective. Possibly you're going through a similar situation, so we'll talk about that. It's called uh, The Week That Was. That's right, John. And uh, this week, I'm going to talk about two uh, specific questions that were sent to us. Uh, through two websites that we run, and we've been discussing these websites because these are fantastic tools for people to be able to use. Uh, They're anonymous. You just go and post your question. If you're involved in an accident, you have an injury, or you know someone who has been, or if you're in long-term disability and you have issues uh, with your disability claim. So let's go through a question. Uh, I'm going to read the question, Mm -hmm. and I'm going to do an analysis of it. That was sent to mydisabilityquestions.com from Kathy in Burlington, and that was uh, in mid-June. Uh, So so here's what she wrote. She says, Hi, I'm on long-term disability, and I'm going to be applying for CPP disability. Do I need to let the insurance company know that I'm applying? It is my understanding that it is quite difficult to get approved for CPP disability. So if you are denied, and the insurance company knows this, after the two years are up on LTD, does this give them more ammunition to cut you off Uh because of a denial from CPP disability? And again, you can go on the website and actually see that question. And of course, I responded very, very quickly after she asked the question. So these are excellent questions because there are a lot of people out there who are on long-term disability and are thinking of applying for CPP disability. Most LTD, long-term disability policies out there, uh, contain a provision that obligates the individual, the claimant, the disabled person, to apply for CPP disability at some point during the process. Sometimes uh, the insurance company is not going to tell you to apply, and sometimes they will tell you to apply, depending on when you are in in, in the claims process. Perhaps they'll do it a year after you've been on disability. If they ask you to do it, uh, then you know, and and the policy provides that you have to apply for CPP disability, then you should be applying for it. Now, what's the criteria for being approved for CPP disability? The criteria is that your disability has to be severe and prolonged. Of course, you're going to have to provide medical proof, medical reports from your family doctor or specialists, anyone that is treating you or has seen you that can testify to the fact that you have a very severe disability that's preventing you from working. So the question that uh, this lady was asking me is, does she need to let the insurance company know that she's applying? Technically speaking, first of all, we have to go to the policy and see what the policy says. But technically speaking, you don't have to. But here's the reality. If you apply and you get approved, that actually works in your favor. Right? We talked about that before. One of the reasons why insurance companies like it when you apply for CPP disability is because they get a credit for any payments made to you by CPP if, in fact, you are approved. So if you're getting from the LTD insurer, let's say $3,000 a month for your LTD payments, and if CPP then pays you $1,000 a month, you're not getting the $1,000 from CPP and the $3,000 from the LTD insurer. You're getting subtracted. You got it, $3,000 minus $1,000. So the LTD really only pays two, which is why they like it when you apply. Now, let's say you apply and you get denied. Does that hurt you? Well, I, I, you know... I don't think so. And the reason I don't think that it hurts you is because the fact that you uh, got denied CPP disability, first of all, it doesn't mean uh, that you're not disabled. It just means that CPP decided that under their mm-hmm. criteria, you don't, you don't right. match. Keep in mind, though, when you get denied CPP disability, there's, a win- uh, th- there's actually a window to appeal the decision. And many people who appeal the decision, usually within 90 days, uh, th- th- they end up actually getting the CPP disability approval at some point down the road. 
But again, th- this is one of the reasons why, John, it's so important to, to seek legal advice and to speak with a lawyer who deals in this area of law, because then we can uh, uh, deal with the claim in its entirety. So in our practice, when someone comes to us and they have an LTD claim, a disability claim, and they're having issues or they have questions about their policy or issues with their insurer, you know, we can deal with that as well as the CPP aspect of the claim. Very, very important. What else you got? All right, so this other question came to us through another website that we run, the one we mentioned, myaccidentquestions.com. And that came from Stephanie at uh, Cambrai. And uh, that was uh, a question that was sent to us on June 14th. It's a long question. You can read it on the website, but I'm just going to go through the highlights. Uh, she says that she had a, a uh, an accident where she was not at fault five years ago. And after the accident, she went to the hospital. Uh, you know, they, they gave her some pills. They sent her home. She started seeing a chiropractor. She had a stiff back. She was caught off treatments, mm-hmm. which, of course, insurance companies do a lot. Uh, th- then she says that in November 2015, so this is a few years later, this was just last year, she was on her way home and a guy ran his red light, pulled a U-turn in front of her, and again, an accident, not her fault. Her, her, her car was written off, so clearly it was a more significant uh, uh, type of accident. Now, she's, she's, she's been in treatment, she's been seeing a chiropractor, massage therapist, uh, etc. And, and, you know, in, in April of this year, so just a few months back, she found out, uh, because she had an MRI, that she had two bulging discs, a herniated disc. Oh. Uh, so she's got a lot, a lot of issues. You know, she's having difficulties at work, etc. Now, here's the interesting part. Apparently, according to this question, she actually went to a lawyer for a consultation. Mm. And for whatever reason, uh, the, the lawyer said that she has no case. And by the way, let me just mention also that she was also diagnosed with a concussion which, of course, as you know from other cases that I've uh, talked about, the concussion equals brain injury. It's just a different type of brain injury, but it's a brain injury. Uh, so, you know, she's obviously in a lot of pain and, and she's in a, in a very terrible situation. And, and you know, I, I don't really understand why it is that the other lawyer told her that he cannot help her or she has no case because, you know, clearly the accident happened five years ago. She's out of time for that accident. But the accident that happened last year Given the fact that she had the MRI and it showed the, bul- the bulging discs, she's having issues because of a herniated disc, concussion, she definitely has a case. There's no question about that. But oftentimes you will have lawyers who get uh, either flustered or they can't assess properly uh, the, the, the allocation of damages uh, between multiple accidents. So again, you know, the, 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 this area of law is very convoluted. It's not complicated, but it's convoluted. Right. And, you know, you need to have the, tech- the technical know-how. So very, very important that if you are involved in multiple accidents, if you're going to get legal advice and you don't get the answer that you necessarily are looking for, don't stop there. Get a second opinion and get a third opinion. And that's what I encourage people you know, who listen to the show. If you are in that situation, give me a call or email me. It's not going to cost you anything. The number is 416-216-5910. Anytime you want to get a hold of Savan, email us help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. This is the Insurance and Injury Law Show, and it's right here on Talk Radio, AM640. 416-216-5910. Anytime you like, that'll get a hold of Savannah directly. It is help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. We'll get to a couple emails as the show progresses uh, here. So uh, what else? Uh, what are you, uh, Where do you want to go now? Well, let's talk about the injury calculator because ah. that's a tool that we've been really you know, hammering on every show. And it's, it's such a... It's, it's such a it's it's easy. It's so easy to use, and so many people have used it. Uh, so for our listeners who haven't heard about this tool before, it's injurycalculator.ca. 
it, it's it's a it, it's an online website that we created uh, about a year ago. My team and I uh, we we scoured the legal databases for uh, you know court decisions from across the countries, uh, sorry from across Canada, uh, and, and you know we looked at various injuries and people of different ages and different locations, and we wanted to see if we can compile a database where someone can simply uh, you know use a drop menu or you know j- j- just click of a button and say here's the injury I have. You're not identifying yourself. You're just no. saying here's where the accident happened. It wasn't my fault. Here's what the injury is. Here's the severity of that injury. Here's my age. Um, again, no name, no number, nothing. You, you know, website, tell me how much it is that I can expect to get exactly. if, I, if I actually initiate a claim for that compensation for pain and suffering. And that's what that website does. Uh, there's an algorithm in there that goes through all the various databases that we've compiled, and it shoots out a range, a range of damages that you can potentially be looking at. What does that mean? It means that if, for example, you were in a car accident and you hit your knee on the dashboard and, I don't know, you tore your knee or you broke your knee. I'm just using a knee as, as an yep. example. A lot of people have whiplash or concussion uh, or, or you know other type of, of traumatic injuries. They want to know... Perhaps they don't want to call a lawyer or even email a lawyer. They just want to know. Listen, is even you know is is is, is it even worth my while to pursue this? Uh, you know, we get bombarded every day by um, billboards everywhere, by by ads on on buses, personal injury lawyers everywhere. <laughs> yeah. But I don't want to have to call anyone. I just want to know if it's worthwhile uh, for, for me to start this. Well, this website allows you to get an idea of the range of what you know the dollars that you could potentially be getting or or could could be owed. If you started a claim for compensation for pain and suffering, again, just pain and suffering. Though, again, right? absolutely, just pain and suffering. And and you know the easiest example to uh, to give here is, you know, you're working in a, in a factory, for example, and you're earning thirty thousand dollars a year, uh, and you injured your back and you have chronic pain now. You didn't break anything, but you have chronic pain and you have to stop working at this location and you can't work anymore. You know, and, and you're fifty five years old. Your injury may get assessed at let's say forty, fifty, sixty thousand dollars for your pain and suffering. That's what the website, uh, the the injury calculator.ca may tell you. Sure. But the fact that you're now not earning uh, thirty thousand dollars anymore uh, per year, or perhaps you're taking a job where you can only work you know half the amount of time, you're making fifteen thousand dollars a year. Right. There is a loss that's ongoing. You can't create a calculator that's going to look at all these specific facts. At least I haven't been able to come up with it's that. It's too individual. It's right? too individual. Yeah. But you can have a situation where someone is owed, let's say, $50,000 for pain and suffering because of their injury, uh, but their income losses could be in the hundreds of thousands of dollars or, right. or, or even more. And, and that applies also to out-of-pocket expenses. You having to hire someone to help you at home, to help you with your kids, you know, to, to do the snow shoveling, etc. Or maybe you have a friend that's helping you or a family member. These are all individual characteristics of each case. A lot of variables. A right? lot so, of variables, yeah. a ton of them. But at least that website, that injurycalculator.ca website, allows you to get you know, an initial idea of at least what the law says you are potentially owed for the pain and suffering that you've experienced and continue to experience because of your injury. So we're going to talk about, uh, you know, common denials of long-term disability claims, how you deal with them, for instance, uh, you know, where the adjuster says that there's a, there's a lack of objective evidence of disability, which we talked about in the week that was, right? That's right, exactly. And, you know, I, I get this a lot where people say, you know, say to me, I, I've been denied, I have my letter of denial, here you go. And I'm looking at the letter of denial. That's the first thing I look at when someone comes to me uh, when they haven't been approved or, or they've been cut off from long-term disability. And, you know, I see the word objective. There's no objective yeah. or there's a lack of objective evidence of disability. What does the word objective means? 
in in layman's terms, what it means is is proof essentially. And and you know, it's it's in a way, it's a frustrating phrase, it's a frustrating concept. Why? Because John, if you have a headache, can you prove that you have that headache? I mean, maybe if we did a city scan, right. we can figure out that there is something wrong, you know, with with your brain. But if I'm having some uh, uh, back pains, can I objectively tell you that? No. But if I broke my foot, you're going to see that on right. an X-ray. I can prove it to you. I can show you the image. So, you know, when insurance companies say we have no objective evidence of a disability or there is a lack of objective, what does that mean? That anybody with a psychological issue suddenly does not qualify because there's no objective way of measuring that the person is... Yeah, that's... And, 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 you know, the majority of people out there, the the injuries that they suffer or the disability that that they suffer from is not necessarily something uh, that, that has to do with, with a tear of a tendon or a broken bone. It has to do with a myriad of things. It has to do with chronic pain. Right. Sometimes it's fibromyalgia, chronic pain syndrome. Perhaps there is a psychological overlay to the disability, right? You can't see that on an x-ray. Y- you can't. You cannot. Right. And a lot of people are completely debilitated as a result of that. So when I see you know, the insurance company saying in their letter of denial or cutoff, there's a lack of objective evidence of disability, I immediately start digging deeper because sure. obviously the insurance company hasn't done that. We'll take a quick break. In the meantime, the number to get a hold of Savannah anytime, 416-216-5910, and it is help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. Lots more of the show coming up. It's the Insurance and Injury Law Show. This is Talk Radio, AM 640. 416-216-5910, help at theinsurancelawyer.ca is the website to get a hold of Savannah anytime. You want to check out mydisabilityquestions.com too. Maybe there's something you haven't uh, had the, a little shy to call in and ask a question. That's no problem. You can go down there. There's a drop-down menu. Chances are your question has been asked and answered. If not, Savannah will get to it and his team uh, pretty quickly. As a matter of fact, we're talking about ways to deal uh, with common denials for long-term disability. Uh, how about this one? We talked about objective evidence. How about sufficient medical documents to support your disability or claim of disability? Okay, so whenever you apply for long-term disability or CPP disability or, or frankly, any type of disability uh, claim or benefits, you have to provide medical documentation. So oftentimes when I see a denial, again, a denial for long-term disability or a cutoff, uh, the insurance company or the adjuster is saying, we don't have sufficient medical documents. That word sufficient, what does that mean, sufficient? And, and, you know, there there is a scale here, I would say. Uh, I've seen cases where they've sent, you know, they when I've asked an individual, well, what have you provided to the insurance company? They said, well, I've provided, you know, a letter from my family doctor that it's a one-liner. This person is disabled. Well, that means nothing, right? Yeah. I mean, even by my standards, yeah. okay, and I'm advocating for it's people a little who are disabled, weak. it's very weak. Uh, but then I've seen cases where, you know, I have a letter, I have a report from the psychiatrist. I have a letter from the physiatrist. I have a letter from the family doctor. I have a whole bunch of letters and reports, all of them saying the same thing. The person cannot work. They're disabled. And the adjuster says, sorry, it's just not sufficient uh, f- for our purposes, which, of course, is ridiculous. Uh, so, you know, whenever you see that word sufficient, it tells me that there is either a communication issue, mm-hmm. meaning the insurance company simply does not have all the required information that they need in order to make a determination, a positive determination to approve you or to continue your disability payments, or it tells me that they are taking a stupid position. And I'm specifically addressing the last uh, example that I gave yep. where I had that individual that had, you know, about five or six different reports from different people, different doctors, all say, saying the same thing. And, and the adjuster saying, oh, we just don't have sufficient medical documentation. So, again, whenever you're facing one of these uh, uh, denials where, it's, you know, they tell you, you just don't have sufficient medical documentation to approve you or to continue your disability – 
don't assume that that means the game's over. Right. It doesn't mean that. It just means that we have to make sure that we do our due diligence to present your case in the strongest possible way. And, you know, again, if the insurance company is going to give pushback, even though it's it's as clear as day that you should be approved, we can hold that legal gun to their head, as, as I say, uh, and, and, you know, start a claim. And trust me, they will pay. That number you should call any time, by the way, 416-216-5910. We'll bounce over, answer a quick email here uh, during the segment. Uh, Greg from North York writes in, says, My wife has MS but was denied LTD uh, in September 2014. We've appealed the decision and we're denied. We're now waiting for the decision for the second appeal. How long do we got to wait before uh, we hire a lawyer? John, should I uh, have you answer the question Like now? now. Yeah, like, like now. now, exactly. Yeah. And the word appeal, yeah. anytime I hear that together with the phrase long-term disability... Uh, I just uh, I, I, I get I get really really aggravated because you know people don't know uh, that these appeals are for the most part useless. Uh, they're a big mistake. They're, they're a detour. I mentioned that on the last show. They are a detour to the final destination. Uh, they're a waste of emotional and financial resources. Uh, you know you're going to be frustrated. Your morale is going to go down. You're going to get more fatigued. You know oftentimes people get worse from a health standpoint, and it drains. It drains your family's patience. You know that reminds me. Uh, the, the, there is there is a, um, a a a term called the Fabian strategy. What is that? Uh, the Fabian strategy. It's a famous military tactic. To, uh, it's it's used to defeat an enemy by wearing them down over time rather than facing them in direct battle. Uh, and, and when it's used successfully, the enemy eventually gives up or is defeated because of lack of resources or frustration. Uh, and the tactic is actually named after a Roman general, Fabius Maximus, who used the strategy to defeat uh, Hannibal. So, so, you know, the idea is this, that if we can wear you down, uh, by we I mean the insurance company, then there's more money for us. Now, again, you're going to have a lot of insurers and adjusters out there screaming and saying, what are you talking about? We're just doing our job. Yep. At the end of the day, there is, in my mind at least, based on my experience, in my view, a concerted effort by many insurers, by many adjusters, to wear people down. That's just the reality. And I'll tell you that having done defense work in the past, a lot of times we did employ strategies to try and wear down the claimants, to wear down the plaintiff lawyers. And some of them would be worn down, and that resulted in smaller settlements, right? My clients, my insurance clients would pay less. And at the end of the day, that means more money for the insurance companies. So the one way to avoid that is if you are denied long-term disability or if you are cut off from long-term disability, you don't take the detour of an appeal. You just don't. You contact me, contact my team. We will help you. At the very least, we'll tell you within minutes whether or not we can help you or not. And that doesn't mean that every person that contacts me, I can help them. No, sometimes you really are not entitled. But you know, John, the majority of people who contact me, they contact me because in their heart, they know that they've been denied the disability benefit incorrectly and and unjustly. And oftentimes, we can rectify that. Help me or not, Fabius Maximus, change my name to that for sure. That's pretty strong. Legally, right? <laughs> I'll course. take care of that, John, for <laughs> free. I bet you will. Taking a quick break. More of your emails coming up. You want to ask, simple, help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. The number to get a hold of Savannah, that's simple too. 416-216-5910. This is the Insurance and Injury Law Show Talk Radio, AM640. 416-216-5910 and help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. You want to get a hold of Savannah anytime, there's a couple ways to do that. Some emails coming up, and first we'll get to this personal injury in general. There are a lot of myths 
surrounding claims for compensation for personal injury, probably endless, but to at least get to the top five in your view. Okay, so let's let's think about those. Um, definitely a lot of myths, a lot of, of, of falsehoods out there. One of the things that uh, you know people think when they contact us, and, and a lot of them always want to confirm is, you know, you're going to take my case, you're telling me I have a good case, you're telling me you can recover for me, but what do I have to pay you up front? Yeah. I mean, what's what's the deal here? What 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 do you need me to give you? Because really, I don't have anything to give you because I'm on disability or I'm injured and That's I can't. Why I'm coming work. to you, right? I'm I'm living yeah. off of a line of credit, living on fumes. Here here's the myth, uh, especially you know, as specifically with our firm and and frankly with, with with the top lawyers out there, I can tell you that in in personal injury and long term disability claims. Generally speaking, there are no upfront retainers. I'm saying generally speaking because there are exceptions. The exceptions to the rule include things like medical malpractice, right? If you think that a doctor screwed up and you want to go after a doctor, you're probably going to have a law firm tell you, listen, before we do anything against that doctor, mm-hmm. we have to get an opinion of another doctor. So you may have to pay for that. Okay. But in the general type of personal injury claims, car accidents, trip and fall, slip and falls, dog bites, all that kind of stuff, long-term disability, there is no upfront retainer. If we do not recover anything for you, you pay zero. It's just that simple, okay? So that's the first myth. Second myth, and this is really key here because I hear commercials on the radio and I, I see commercials everywhere, really, where lawyers are touting their experience in court. Okay, I've been in court. I've done trials. Mm-hmm. A lot of lawyers have done those. Uh, but here's the reality. The reality is in, in long-term disability cases and personal injury, you rarely have to go to court. It, it's, it almost never happens. I, I mean, I'm talking about way over 90%, probably over 95% of cases, never even get close to the courthouse. Why? Because insurance companies... And and the plaintiffs, frankly, they don't want to take the risk of a trial, so they settle. Okay, yeah. and so court's talk- expensive, right? Court's expensive, exactly, and it takes time and it drains you. No one wants to go to trial. If we have to, we do, right? We do, but mm-hmm. it's very rare. And it's and you know anyone who tells you otherwise, I'm sorry, I, I just I don't believe them. I'm gonna say they're lying. I'm just saying I don't believe them because the reality. And I have a lot of friends, both on the defense side and the plaintiff side. Mm-hmm who, you know, for all of their bravado will tell you, you know, you ask them, how many trials have you done in the last 10 years? They'll tell you one. Wow. I mean, and they handle thousands of cases. So the reality is rarely do these cases go to trial or go to court. These types of claims are settled along the way, usually halfway through the process. Not difficult. Third myth, the lawyer can predict exactly how much I'm going to get. Yeah, that's. I can't stand when someone comes to me and says, I've spoken to this lawyer and they said that they can guarantee me X amount or that my broken toe is going to lend me a million dollars. I'm sorry, they can't do that. The most they can do, the most, and frankly, most of them don't do that, the most they can do is try and give you an idea uh, similar to what the injury calculator website that we created does, right? They can tell you, you know, based on our experience... Even that For pain is a and range. suffering, yeah, and yeah. even that is a range exactly because you know you can have two twenty-year-olds that have back injuries, similar back injuries, but one injury or one individual is affected more than the other. So perhaps for this individual, uh, you know, the, the the damages award or the pain and suffering award could be thirty thousand dollars. For that one, it could be fifty thousand dollars. So right. there's a range. But, you know, other than telling you, in my experience, here's how much I think you can get for pain and suffering, there's no way that they can predict with any certainty how much your case totally. is going to settle for. Okay, so that's a myth. If somebody's telling you, here's how much, that's, that's, it cannot be. 
fourth myth, hiring a lawyer is not necessary because I can do it myself. Yeah, good luck with that. I was just going to say, good luck with yeah. that. And again, we've talked on this show. And legally, you can, but you don't want it, oh, right? Oh, you can't, 100%. Yeah, you can Listen, you want. legally, you can diagnose yourself with any yeah. illness you have by going yeah. on Google, right? Are you <laughs> right. going to do it or are you <laughs> going to go to the doctor? Right. So, you know, it's up to you if you want to do it. I've dealt with a lot of people who've come to me after the fact because they've heard the show or they've heard from someone who heard the show to call me, mm-hmm. uh, but they've settled already. They've signed the release and I can't do anything for them. So unless you're in the industry, unless you know what you're doing, be very, very careful very careful uh, not to do it yourself. At the very least, get some advice so that you understand what your options are with regards to your claim. The, the last myth that I'm, I'm, I'm going to mention here because we're short on time is that you know most people think that compensation is only available for physical injuries. We touched on this in the yeah. last segment with long-term disability. Listen, injuries can be uh, uh, physical, they can be psychological, they can be a combination of both. In fact, oftentimes they are a combination of both. I've had a lady once a few years back who was involved in a fairly minor car accident, but she was already in a fragile state. The injuries weren't that severe. It was a chronic type of a case, pain in her back and her neck, didn't go away. She was a hairdresser, worked part-time uh, in her 50s, uh, an immigrant uh, from, from Eastern Europe. Mm-hmm. But, you know, something happened, something snapped. And, and you know, after about a year or a year and a half, she deteriorated, deteriorated psychologically to the point where she was almost non-functional. I mean, yeah. her family doctor was going to have her committed. I mean, that case settled for a lot of money, even though the accident itself, from a physical standpoint, was not that severe. I mean, yeah, it's it's back pain. I have back pain yep. occasionally. You have back pain, right? Every day. But but she was so debilitated from a psychological standpoint, which was just overlaid on the chronic pain aspect, on the yeah. physical aspect that you know the the other side insurance companies recognize that we're dealing with with uh, with a with a, a very significant claim so so compensation is not only available for physical injuries it's physical it's psychological it's a combination it, it's anything in between if you don't know get assessed and talk to a lawyer like very, yourself very very right? important yes the phone number is we take a take a quick break here 416-216-5910 want to shoot us an email we'll get to one right after we come back from that break it is help at the insurance lawyer.ca this is the insurance and injury law show it's right here talk radio am 640 416-216-5910 and help at the insurancelawyer.ca. We'll get to one from uh, Harold here in Belleville. Harold writes in at that email address, says, uh, my wife suffered pretty bad injuries in an accident about three years ago. She was in hospital for two weeks and was diagnosed with a brain injury. She's unable to work and we're really struggling. We have a local lawyer who started a claim for the accident against the other driver, but nothing seems to be happening. I looked at the claim he wrote, and it doesn't even mention that she has a brain injury. Should it say anything about that? What do I do? Harold, it, it absolutely should state that there is a, a brain injury. And, and in fact, you know, um, this is something that, that I, I'm, I'm very, uh, how shall we say, um, it's, it's, it's a pet peeve of mine that, you know, I see claims when they're drafted and, and they're not drafted the way that they should be. So let me explain to you why it's so important. What is a claim at the end of the day? A claim is a legal document uh, that we file with the court. And it says, here's what uh, injury uh, our client suffered. Here are the losses that flow from that injury, right? They can't work or they have difficulties at home and they need help around the house. Uh, here's how the accident happened, right? It itemizes everything. Very, very important. Why? Well, let me take you to when I was a defense lawyer. So I'll, I'll explain it. When when a claim gets issued 
and then gets uh, to, 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 to the desk of an adjuster, insurance adjuster. The insurance adjuster is getting these claims left, right, and center because no. these kinds of claims are common. Uh, not necessarily brain injuries, but claims in general sure. for personal injury. And the adjuster has to make an assessment. The adjuster has to do uh, an analysis and tell the insurance company, its employer, his employer or her employer, how much money initially they should put on reserve, meaning how much money we should put aside for an eventual settlement or verdict for this case. Well, when I was a defense lawyer, I would immediately take a look at the claim that was assigned to me by the adjuster. And I would look at two things off the bat. I would look at how did the accident happen, right? I want to know what exactly is the nature of the accident. Is my guy even at fault that I'm defending? And number two, what is the severity of the injury here? Are they, did they write in that injury paragraph in the claim that the person just has, you know, aches yeah, and pains yeah. and tears? It, usually, you know, there is a standard paragraph or two paragraphs that many lawyers use. Or do they itemize? Do they say, you know, he suffered a tibial fracture, he suffered a concussion, she suffered a torn shoulder, and, you know, they give some specifics. The specifics are important. Why? Because me as a defense lawyer, I go, oh, wait a second. This is not like the other claims. This is clearly a more significant claim. If I'm seeing in that injury paragraph the words brain injury, if I'm seeing a reference to an MRI that was done or a CD scan, you know, for a more significant injury, I'm going to uh, uh, assess that accordingly. I'm going to tell my adjuster client, you know, we haven't really done much on the claim, but just based on the claim that I'm reviewing here, you should reserve more money. And that's important because that's going to make it easier to settle down the road. So, Harold, to answer your question, the claim 100% has to make mention of the brain injury. It doesn't mean that the claim cannot be amended, that it cannot be changed down the road. But you want to start the case right. You want to set the stage correctly. I have a case right now that um, I, I took over from from another lawyer, actually, uh, about a year ago. And it is a brain injury case. And in fact, that's exactly what happened there. Brain injury was not mentioned in the claim. Not only was it not mentioned, but the amount of money that was being claimed was a fraction of what it should have been claimed. And again, it's it does such a disservice to the to the to wow. the claimant, and it just sets the stage for a potential failure down the road, or for resolving and settling the claim for a lot less than what you should be settling for. Uh, so, so Harold, uh, the accident happened three years ago. I don't know when the lawyer was hired. Uh, if the lawyer was hired immediately after the accident and nothing is happening on the claim, that's a very big problem. So I don't have enough specifics here, but anytime you're dealing with a very serious injury and nothing seems to be happening and you're getting radio silence from the lo- uh, the lawyer or the law office and you're leaving messages and you're emailing and you're getting nothing and it seems like things are moving at a complete snail pace, nothing is literally happening and you are suffering, your wife is suffering, your family is suffering, do something about it. And he, so, so, you know, Harold, you've, you've done that here. You've, you've written me and I'm telling you, the claim should definitely be mentioning brain injury. Uh, my suggestion to you is uh, uh, give me a call off air or email me. Let's have a more in-depth chat. I've said it before and I'll say it again. I don't encourage people to simply switch to me from other lawyers. I would not want that to happen, you know, for my clients. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but, you know, oftentimes when I deal with people, I, I, I listen, I will always tell you the truth. I, I will always tell you if I think that the claim is being handled correctly or not. And sometimes I'll tell you, listen, John, maybe that's not the way I would have handled it, but there's nothing really wrong with it. It's just not my style. Right. And, and I've had cases where I've actually disagreed with the way the lawyer did something, but I know that lawyer and I know that law firm, and I said, you know, you're in good hands. Right. You, are in, you do not need to switch to me. 
And and people appreciate that because I'm telling them the truth. Where I've had other times where I said to them, you know what? You got to do something here because I'm seeing a lot of red flags and the claim is just going downhill. Just languishing. N- languishing. Nothing's happening. There are mistakes happening. I mean, I'll give them my, my honest opinion. What they want to do with it is going to be up to them. But there's a lot of negligent lawyers out there, a lot of people who just don't know what they're doing, who you know just think that you can make easy money in personal injury. You have to have the know-how. And there's a lot of good lawyers and good law firms out there. Uh, and and you, know, y- you have to go on experience. You have to go on experience and reputation. 416-216-5910 is that number that Savannah just mentioned. The email is help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. We'll get lots more of the show here in the next few minutes. It's the Insurance and Injury Law Show. It's Talk Radio, AM 640. 416-216-5910 and help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. You know, we talked about, uh, you know, your last, uh, con- well, not consultation, but an email and a phone call you had about uh, problems and a case languishing and taking time and not sure which way to go. So you mentioned a few uh, items there. What's a, what's another uh, thing, say, warning sign to watch out for when someone's either with a bad lawyer or with a bad law firm? Well, I, I'm going to tell you what, what in my mind, uh, are, are the top five red flags or warning signs. Nice. Uh, if you are someone you know is dealing with a lawyer, and that applies not only to litigation and to personal injury, it applies to any lawyer. And I, I've dealt with bad lawyers, real estate lawyers, uh, estate lawyers. You know, me in my field, I've unfortunately gotten into uh, some messy situations because I got the wrong advice and, and I trusted the wrong people. So here are the top warning signs I'll give you if you're dealing with lawyers and law firms. Lawyers and law firms, in my mind, that don't respond to your voicemails or emails or take a very long time to do so, and I'm talking about days, that's a big no-no for me. I'm sorry. I don't accept it. Uh, any lawyer we hire at our firm, we tell them that's just you know the number one rule. Got to be you on the get ball. Ba- yeah, you get back to clients. I'm not saying you got to be like me where you're going to get a response within minutes, if not seconds, if I'm, if I'm seeing the, you know, the, the, the email or I'm getting the voicemail. Uh, but you're, you know, waiting for a day or two to get back to someone. I'm sorry, that's that's just, it's not the way that that we practice. Not how you roll. It's not how we roll, mind you. There's different lawyers out there, but again, the warning sign is that if you're leaving messages upon messages, emails on emails, and no one is getting back to you, that's a huge warning sign. It tells me that the lawyer is probably not doing anything on your case. Right. Doesn't mean it's true. That's just what I think is happening. Uh, number two, uh, they don't give you a straight answer when you have questions about your case. Uh, and listen, we, we've we've consulted with tax lawyers. Again, I told you I, I've had uh, real estate lawyers, estate lawyers. If I go to a lawyer and I'm asking direct questions, and I'm na- I'm I'm not getting answers, or I'm not getting answers that give me practical advice, right. I have no use for that lawyer. I, I, I simply don't. The lawyer is supposed to give you practical advice. You're not going to law school here. You're going to go. Uh, you're going to the lawyer in order to know what to do. Well, that lawyer has to tell you. Here are your options. Here's the menu, and here's what I recommend that you oh. do. And here's the cost associated with that. That's what you want to know. And if you don't get that, move on. Number three. If the lawyer is being rude to you, John, really? you are Come not on. the stories that I have heard oh. about how some plaintiff Waiting lawyers. For the book. My God, I've heard. I've heard, I've had people who end up switching to me. Um, I have one one um, specific example that comes to mind. It was a, a woman and a husband um, that were involved in a car accident, and they were presented by by a lawyer who who's now deceased. And, and apparently, he used to curse at them, and he used to tell them they're stupid. And I, I just when 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 she told me, I couldn't believe it. Come on. In, in fact, I did not believe it at the time. I took it with a grain of salt. But then I actually heard that that was the case from a few other people. So I, I just, if, some, if a lawyer is being rude to you or is being very abrasive to you, move on. 
Okay, something is wrong there. There should be respect. This is this is a profession where we are professionals. You're not. You don't expect your accountant to be rude to you or your doctor to be rude to you. Uh, you know, there has to be bedside manners, so to speak. Uh, number three, when when the lawyer staff or the law firm staff doesn't seem to know what they're doing, I'm talking about them asking you 50 times for the same piece of information, right. or you know they're they're losing documents, uh, or you know when it just seems to you like it's a ship with no captain. Be careful because you know if that's how they're dealing with the specifics of your case, God knows what's going to happen ultimately with right. your case. So be careful. Uh, and, you know, the last one I will tell you, and this is something that, um, you know, you, you can only evaluate when, when you've spoken with the lawyer and, and, you know, you have a heart-to-heart with the lawyer. It doesn't matter what kind of profession you're dealing with, real estate lawyer, estate, family lawyer, whatever. If they don't seem to care about you or your situation, if they don't feel the pain, so to speak, okay? And yes, I know, they're professionals. They're supposed to be uh, uh, at arm's length, devoid of emotion. But if they don't have empathy for what you right. are going through, I, I don't know. I For me, that's not enough. I want someone who's representing me who understands where I'm coming from. You're not going to be in my situation, but I want you to tell me, I understand. I understand, and here's why I understand, and here's what I'm going to do about it. And that's key for me. So those are the, the, the warning signs uh, that, that, you know, in my mind uh, would make me move away and find someone else to help me. Get to uh, to an email here from Daryl uh, from Orangeville. By the way, it's help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. You want to send us an email anytime, even outside of show hours. Uh, Savannah responds to them. Says, my son and I were in an accident off the 407 and 410 about seven months ago. We hired a paralegal to help us with our accident benefits, but I've heard you talk about the other type of uh, claim against the at-fault driver. I asked our paralegal about it, and she said that she would refer us to a lawyer when the time is right. My son's back in school, but I haven't been able to go back to work since the accident, when is the right time to see that lawyer that she was talking about? Daryl, the right time is always at the beginning. It's always at the beginning. It's, you know, for the paralegal to say the right time, I, that's, that's not right. It's just not right because the right time is as soon as possible. And the reason for that is simple uh, because, incidentally, the claim you're talking about uh, is, is, uh, is a tort claim. It's, it's, the, it's the claim against the at-fault driver. Okay. It's dealing with their insurance company. And oftentimes, that is the more significant claim, which is why it's also more important to start that as soon as possible when the injuries are severe. Can a paralegal handle that? No, a paralegal right. cannot handle that. They're not allowed under law society regulations because those are claims that are started in superior court and only lawyers can actually do it. Yeah. Uh, Paralegals uh, deal with the accident benefits claim, which is probably what's happening with you and your son, Daryl. Very, very important to understand that when you are going to seek legal advice after an accident, you want legal advice both on the accident benefits part of your claim and the tort and the other one. Uh, nothing wrong with paralegals. We have paralegals in our totally. firm, and, and you know, as long as they know what they're doing, just like with lawyers, no issue. I've seen paralegals that are better than lawyers, so no issues. But the idea of waiting before you get the legal advice is a mistake. It's a mistake because you don't know what mistakes are being done along the way, and it's a mistake because in your case, given the fact you haven't been able to go back to work and seven months have elapsed, I would have started a claim already because clearly your injuries are severe. So give me a call off here. Let's have a chat, and I'll explain to you in a few minutes exactly what all your options are. A lot of information this past hour. You need more anytime. A couple different ways you can get it. You can uh, call Savannah anytime, 416-216-5910. The email always works. It's help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. Check out the uh, injury calculator as well anytime. That's a really useful tool. And there's also mydisabilityquestions.com. Drop down menu. Chances are your question's been asked. Check it out. And there's contact information at the bottom as well. This has been the Insurance and Injury Law Show. It's right here. Talk Radio, AM 640.